Hey everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Laura Donnelly. And I'm Jill Handley. And this is season two, episode seven, Daring Leadership, What Would Brene Say? In this episode, we provide tips and strategies from the second half of Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. We will be focusing on... Well, just a second, before we get started, we wanted to give a shout out to Katie Wolf, who left the following five-star review. So glad to have found this podcast via Twitter and Heather Worrell. We'll be listening to more. Thank you so much, Katie, for the feedback and great review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you. Thanks for interacting with us on Twitter as well. We are so thankful that you have joined our gratitude challenge. In episode five of this season, we introduced Dare to Lead by talking about Brene's strategies for rumbling with vulnerability. We discussed ways we face our fears as leaders, and we talked about the importance of establishing a safe culture for our staff that allows them to rumble with vulnerability. Another great takeaway from episode five was the importance of permission slips. After reading the second half of this book, though, we really took away five main things that we thought were really important to share with you. And and so we're going to get started with... Back in episode five, we talked, um, we began to talk about Brene discusses oftentimes as leaders when we're not quite ready to rumble with vulnerability. That's when we kind of show up with what she calls armored leadership. And that's where we're kind of protecting ourselves for fear of lots of different things. And so one of the great things that Brene does in this book is that she kind of defines the difference between what she calls armored leadership and that's where we're kind of showing up with our armor on. We're not ready to to allow ourselves to be seen for not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with our staff. And then the opposite of that, which is what she's trying to get us all to be, which is daring leadership. And so she, she does a nice job. She has 16 different examples of what armored leadership looks like and then what that would look like once you're able to rumble with vulnerability and become a daring leader. And so we're not going to discuss all 16, but the two that really jumped out to me and, and are the first one actually is, is when you show up with armored leadership, that might present itself from a leadership perspective of you trying to drive perfectionism and fostering the fear of failure. Um, and so that is, that's really such a, such a, a, a negative culture is, and that's, you know, sometimes that, that unravels because we have the pressure to perform. You know, I know in the school system, if, if you're a leader of a, of, a, of a school and you've probably fallen at the feet of standardized testing and the pressure that comes with that. And so unfortunately, if we aren't careful as leaders, that can unravel real quickly and present itself in an armored way like Brene talks about by that trying to drive perfectionism and, and, and people being you know afraid to, to, to fail. And so the opposite of that, where it's daring leadership, um, is modeling and encouraging healthy, striving, empathy, and self-compassion. And so it's interesting because earlier today, Laura and I were talking as we were preparing for the podcast about, okay, so this is the first one that she talks about. How do we feel we're doing <laughs> with, with that? Um, and so what I'd, what I'd share with Laura was that I really feel like as a leader, one of the things that I try hard to do is really encourage and, and create safe boundaries for our staff to fail forward. 
And so I was really reflecting on how do I think I'm doing with that? And I thought, you know what, I think I'm doing a good job. I, I think of lots of examples to where I think if you ask our staff, how do you feel? Do you feel it's a safe environment? Do you feel like you can fail forward without repercussions from Jill? Uh, and I think they would say yes. But then I started thinking about it even more because what often happens when teachers start reflecting, the thing that they'll say is, we respect you so much, we just don't want to disappoint you. And so then that got me to thinking, can you have a culture where you're promoting a fail forward attitude if people are afraid to disappoint you? So I don't know if those two can exist in the same place. Laura, what are your thoughts and, on that? And Jill and I, when we were talking about this, and because we work in the same building, um, I said to her, I said, I think honestly, we do have a sense of culture that is a perfectionist culture. And Jill and I are very much per- perfectionist people. And I think that some of our staff members are too, but I'm not sure if the person perfectionism is like a character trait of our staff members or if it's something that they feel um, it is part of our culture and if so that's something that we need to work on would you agree with that Jill do you think it's a we have kind <laughs> yeah, of a culture of perfectionism know, I, I honestly I, absolutely I would agree with that and you know sometimes I wonder how much what role we play as leaders you know when we everybody who knows us knows that that's what we strive for so when when, when you're leading a culture like that, this has really made me reflect. Uh, this book more so, you know, I talk about Jen Sincero's book being one of my faves, but this book, this is my first read of, of this book, and this one has really caused a lot of deep reflection on my own leadership. Uh, and this one is, is one for sure. When I look at what Brene talks about when it's daring, one of the big takeaways from, from this is that self-compassion. And so Laura, when I think about the work that we have to do with this, I really feel like it starts there because I would think that you and I, myself, I know I can't really speak for you, but I can, um, <laughs> is that sometimes we're, we're often our own worst critics uh-huh. and, and, and not giving ourselves self-compassion. And I know that's definitely an area that I need to work on. And, and this really brings it to light a lot more, um, working on it for my own self, but working on it as a leader, because if, if I'm, I can't model and encourage others to be self-compassionate if I'm really not doing it myself. So I think um, this was a this was a real big one that when I first read the book, I just kind of skimmed over. I was like, eh, yeah. But uh, through our discussion today, um, I've really it's really caused me to reflect deeper on that and see the work that that I have to do as a leader. Well, and I think. Um when she talks about those critics in the stand who are not in the arena, we are the ones that are directly in the arena and we are often our biggest critics of ourselves, like Jill talked about, and which is why I think those positive affirmations and mantras are so important to remind us because we are human and we get stuck in that, at least Jill and myself do, get stuck in that need for perfection a lot of times. And we're our biggest critics. So if you don't have a mantra or affirmation already that you say, when you get stuck in those um, spaces of being your own worst critic, um, something that can pull you out of that because they really are powerful in that, that moment, in that instance. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit more about self-compassion later. And so I'm excited, but this one, this one really caused me to, to think deeply on my own leadership. Um, and just a note for our listeners too, 
uh, thanks to Laura, as she is, um, our leadership team is now going to reread this book. Um, for the, if you've, if you're not, if you've not been on Renee's website, she offers a free downloadable workbook that kind of goes along with this book. And so I'm really excited just through just this little bit of reflection, Laura, that you and I have done. I'm really excited to go through the workbook as a team, one for our own growth, but two, just to bring that, um, those ideas in our journey to our listeners. I think that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what sparked that idea in just a little bit, but I'm, I'm really excited about doing that work with our team as well. So the other piece of armored leadership that popped out to me and, and popped out to me because I'm very happy to report that I feel like I'm in very daring leadership with this aspect, but I've worked under or for in there. Um, and then there are lots of, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of leaders, um, who fall into this and that's uh the armored piece is leading for compliance and control you know we, laura and i are so big on on positive quotes and affirmations and we we see over and over we've you know we've really been posting a lot on our social media just to kind of uplift ourselves and our our listeners and those people who follow along with us but I think it's something that's been resonating lately with a lot of the quotes we've been pushing is that when you're a leader you don't have to have the title Laura was the one that, that you posted today. I think that it, it really talked about that or the other day, but it, you know, so often, but I, and, and I think that when you're a leader and you've worked on yourself, you recognize that. But when people, I think one of the mistakes that leaders make is thinking that they have to um, be in control all the time. And so oftentimes when you lead from a place of control, the best you're going to get is compliance and and compliance uh, will only get you so far you know it may get some immediate results but it will not get long-standing satisfaction from your employees and therefore you're not going to be able to c cultivate exceptional employees so the the daring piece to that is cultivating commitment and a shared purpose. So I, I think, you know, when we talk to, when, when Laura and I talk with other school leaders, when they come to talk to us about, you know, where should we start? And we start talking about positive culture things. We always talk about, well, you know, you really have to start with a shared vision and, and understand where you're going and to, to bring people along. So I was really excited to see that and feel that that's something that I'm happy to say that I do feel we do well with. Absolutely. And I think I found the quote that you're talking about. Um, I think it was the become the kind of leader that people would follow voluntarily, even if you had no title or position. Yes, that's exactly it. And and that's um, that that's that's huge. I think um, so many people. Another mistake I think that especially new leaders and some existing leaders get is that that title that goes to their head. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it, but um, you know, I remember at one point when I was a, a, new, a new principal, there were principals, you know, I would just hang on the words of, of experienced principals. And I'll never forget uh, one principal saying um, how she was very boastful about the fact that when, you know, when something goes awry in her organization, she would leave a note for an employee that said, see me um, and, and with, with her name on it um, and how she was so almost giddy over the fact that people would be fearful of that that note like oh no dun 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 as they walk to her office and I, I remember thinking as a young leader why are you wanting your employees to be fearful of you um, but but I think that comes from that control piece absolutely it absolutely so, does 
Yeah, so so Brene, she, those are just two of the 16 she talks about, but those are really great because she lists them out, but then she also goes into details about what it looks like from an armored perspective and then from a daring perspective. So that's, that was definitely, a you could do a whole book study just on that component of, of the book. Um, and so then Brene goes on and she talks, she begins to talk about shame and empathy. If you followed Brene at all, um, she, she's done a lot of work, a lot of research on shame. We will not be talking about that today. Um, that would, that's probably a whole other season, but we are going to talk about empathy because this, um, this is one of the big takeaways we want you to get, because this might've been one of the biggest takeaways for me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we talk with our staff when it comes to the kiddos about you need to understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I've said that and I've known that. And so, you know, I've always said like sympathy. I remember, gosh, when I was a brand new teacher, I went to see um, a speaker, a motivational speaker by the name of Larry Bell. And he talked about that. And gosh, that was 25 years ago. And he talked about, you know, sympathy um, is oh, you poor baby, you were at the hospital up late last night and you don't have your homework. Oh, you know, don't worry about it. That's sympathy. Empathy being like, oh, I'm sorry you were at the hospital last night. You've got until tomorrow to bring me your homework. So um, so I, I've understood it from that perspective, but the way that Brene goes on to talk about it really made me think. And so what she talked about was empathy is grounded in connection with, with other people. And that empathy isn't about fixing it's the, I love this. It's the brave choice to be with someone in their darkness, not to, not to race, to turn on the light so that we all feel better. And I think that's sparked a lot of conversation between myself and Jill, because as a counselor, I'm a fixer. And so that's really hard for me to not just jump in and automatically fix it and find a solution. Yeah, that was huge to me too. I mean, I under like I said, I, I've always I feel like I had a good understanding between the difference between empathy and sympathy. But you know, I too. I mean, I'm guilty of swooping in too soon. But uh, you know, what this made me think is that you know sometimes with empathy, people just want to be heard. Um, and I think that a mistake that Laura in Laura to Laura's point that we make is that we tried we, we we feel like as leaders we need to fix somebody else's problems um just so they we take away that hurt that there are those bad feelings that they're having immediately but according to Renee, sometimes we just need to meet them there in fact she goes on to say let go of the fear of saying the wrong thing the need to fix it and the desire to offer the perfect response that cures everything and so what I would encourage our listeners to do is I want you to think about the last time that you felt like you were being empathetic with someone. What did that look like? Were you, did you, did you stay there with them um, and meet them where they were at? Or did you try to swoop in and, and, and get them all out of it quickly? Laura, I know she talks about, um, we've, we've talked about the story that, that she um, discusses and the example that she gave in the book. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit with, with her friend Suzanne the airport. Yeah, I really liked this story because um, as a uh, high school and college athlete, it really resonated with me um, from the student side. But Brene talked about um, going and presenting at this conference and she had mapped out just the right amount of time um, to get catch a flight back because it was her daughter's senior night. Um, I can't remember what sport it was that she played, but it was her senior night. Um, she had, she'd made all of those like fat heads. She'd gotten a bunch printed, <laughs> so she'd have them in the stands. 
if you don't know what a fat head is, it's like a really large image of, your, of a child's or your your uh, the person you're cheering on their head, so you can like cheer from them, cheer them on in the stands, and everybody knows who it is. Um, and her flight, I get, I think there was bad weather or something. The flights all ended up just starting to get canceled one after another, and so not only was she not going to make it, but she wasn't going to get there till after the game was over. So she had invested all of this time in her daughter's athletic sport that she played and she'd been there for so many games and she was going to miss the one last senior game on her home court um, that she'd spent so much time preparing for. Um, and, and it was no, devastating. I was going to say, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but that was gut wrenching to me because I've got two girls and and I my oldest has graduated and I you know that senior night is huge. I mean you walk down the field or the court with them, you know it's it's a big to do. And my youngest, you know, hopefully COVID will be over so I can do that with her next year. But like legitimately, my stomach was hurting as I was reading this because I was putting myself in Brene's shoes. Well, and it, this is just a side note. It, it's interesting because on the opposite end. My daughter's not old enough to play sports yet, um, but when I was in, my parents, um, I played basketball through high school and college, and my parents made it to every single one of my games, except my dad missed one, and it was because of weather. They just couldn't get there. My mom missed one of my very last games I ever played basketball um, because my cousin was in a wreck and was supposed to have a major surgery. Um, and so she just decided to stay in town um, to be with her family. And I know she hated to miss it, but it's something I'll never forget because she missed two games of my career and one was my very last game. Oh. <laughs> so I hope my mom doesn't listen to this and ever feel guilty because I know that that was something she needed to do. She needed to stay here, but it's just something memorable. So um, Brene ends up just like starting to have a meltdown because she realizes she's not making it. And her um, colleague, Suzanne, says to her, basically, she, Renee looks at her and says, I don't understand. And she says, just clear, we're not getting on this flight. The flight's canceled. We're not going to make it back in time. And she said she was just very direct. And as she started to get hysterical, she just said, I know it sucks. And I'm so sorry that this is happening. Um, what kind of like, what do you need? Um, and I love the story that she tells and she gives uh, thank, a big thank you to the person that's working the Life is Good store because I think she sat there in the fetal position for a long time <laughs> while she made a lot of phone calls. But how powerful is that to think of Brene Brown, this person who leads work in vulnerability and courage, offering a story of a time where she needed somebody to be empathetic and just be real and there with her and not try to offer solutions because there was no solution. Just this sucks and I'm here with you and that's um that's when I really was like wow would I have said that no I probably would have not said that I probably would have been trying to look for ways to make it better and to her point like she didn't want it to be better it did suck and she wanted to, to, to stay in the suck for a moment because it did suck yeah absolutely but I thought that was a really powerful story and an example of empathy. Absolutely. And so Brene goes on to talk about that there are five empathy skills. And so I'll just kind of talk briefly about those. And so the first one she says is that when you're attempting to, to have empathy with others is to see the world as others see it. 
or what she calls perspective thinking. She says, honor people's perspective as truth, even when it's different than ours. Perspective taking requires becoming the learner, not the knower. And, you know, I think about this all the time because perspective is a huge thing. I, I often say that, you know, one's, pers- you know, perspective is someone's reality. And that, you know, when people say, well, I didn't mean to do it like that. Well, that's the way I perceived it. So that's my reality. You don't get to tell me how I perceived it. And so I think that's, um, that's huge is, is being able to understand it from someone else's perspective even when it's different than yours. And then she goes on to say, and I thought this was really powerful. It says, it's only when diverse perspectives are included, respected and valued that we can start to get a full picture of the world, who we serve, what we need, and how to successfully meet people where they are. And so the next one she goes on to say is not to be judgmental. Um, And so she says, Um, she says, as women, we're often bad to judge other women, particularly. And so that's why, you know, this season we're really focusing on building other females up and courageous female leadership. But what she said was usually in her work, the places where we judge are the places to where we are most susceptible to shame ourselves. She says, we judge the issues that are hard for us. I started thinking to myself because I've really been working on gratitude and I've really been working on trying to stay out of negativity into a positive place. So I thought about my old self, the one that used to judge. <laughs> um, and I thought, gosh, where is it that, I, that I'm the quickest to judge? And the one that she gave in the book is probably the one that all of us females can, can kind of relate to. And that's the one that when someone walks into another female walks into the room, we'd say something like, what is she wearing? Who does she think she is? Or, ugh, did you see what she had on? About appearance. And so I think, well, yeah, that's truth. I'm, I'm hard to judge that because I'm hard on my own appearance. So, so I thought that was, um, that was a, lot, a lot more introspective thinking on my behalf. Laura, do you have any, any um, experience with that um, judge, <laughs> judging others or anything you'd want to share on that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'd never judge another person. No. I, no, I think what you said is absolutely right. It's um, honestly, in doing the gratitude work um, and just in doing some different reading this summer, that was that's something that's a common theme in a lot of reading that, that I've done is that typically when we're when we find fault in something or when we're judging something, it's because of a fault that we see in ourselves. And that's difficult to think about because when you really start to analyze the things that you've judged, it's so true. And you're right. Probably as women, we've all judged someone else's appearance and it's because we're all struggling to like ourselves and our own appearances, which is awful to say. So um, using those mantras, I think we all need to focus on loving ourselves and um, that self-compassion that we're going to talk about. Absolutely. And she goes on to talk about another empathy skill um, is to understand another person's feelings. Um, and then uh, number four was to communicate your understanding of that person's feelings. She called it emotional literacy. I really like that term, emotional mm-hmm. literacy. Um, and so she said, this is what therapists will often say what I hear you saying is, (laughs) Um, and and so she said, you know, as a leader, the language could be something like, I'm sorry about the project. Um, That really sucks. And that must be so frustrating. Do you want to talk about it? So again, kind of allowing, naming what you think is going on, naming the emotion that's going on with them and just kind of opening up, you know, that puts, 
the person's emotions on the table and it opens the door for the other person to talk about it and they can either confirm you know yes I'm frustrated or they can clarify no I'm not frustrated actually that was embarrassing um, so I thought that was that was really a good way to kind of ease into it and allow you know someone to know I'm, I, I hear you uh, even if I don't get it right I'm opening the door so that you can you can talk about that and I love that rephrasing of the question what I think I heard you say was mm-hmm. just to make sure I understood it correctly because perhaps I missed an important piece and I don't want to do that absolutely yeah and then number five um, and we've talked about this quite a bit is mindfulness and so uh, she quotes the work of Kristen Neff who says mindfulness is taking a balanced approach to negative emotions so that feelings are neither neither suppressed or exaggerated. And so, you know, I think we know the work that mindfulness goes into that is so important. I have to laugh because when she mentioned mindfulness, she said it's a (laughs) a word she kind of hates to hear because it's so overused. And I just did an entire dissertation on mindfulness. (laughs) It's funny. I thought, I thought, I thought about you with that and I was like, well, you know, but from her perspective, you know, I'm certain she would appreciate your doctoral work. I'm sure she's going with the whole, it's being overused for, you know, and, and, and oversimplified to some degree. So, um. no, I don't disagree <laughs> with that. It just broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. Here's something else she said um, when she was talking about almost a pledge that we need to make um, as we are going to, to work with empathy. And, she, you know, she talks about the work's not easy. Uh, you know, if you're going to get down with someone to really be with them and, and work through their, their, issues or challenges um, she said you know you're, you're, you're gonna mess up and so I love this this quote it says tell yourself I agree to practice empathy screw it up circle back clean it up and try it again and I love I really love this and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to practice and I think I'm probably gonna write a note card to keep on my desk or something when we return back she says it means so much to people when you can circle back and say you know you shared something hard with me and I really wish I'd shown up in a different way with you I care about um, you know what you shared do you care if I try it again and so going back to that whole perfectionism you know if I mess it up I, I I'm don't know that I want to go back and say uh, prior to this um, hey can I give it another shot because you know me I'm worried about I want to get it right the first time but I really really like that so I I take away from me with this is going to be um, that whole circle back and and letting them know that you know I care I care about what you're saying it probably didn't come out right the first time (laughs) and that's that being vulnerable with them allowing them to know that I'm, I'm trying here give me another chance And Brene uses that circle back approach with lots of different things. We're going to talk about it with um, feedback in just a little bit. But um, I love that opportunity that circle back gives you time to process, to think through, because we all do that after we've had a conversation like, oh, I should have said, or, oh, I wish I had done this. And circling back gives you that opportunity to practice different ways to um, approach empathy. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely going to be a term that's going to become part of my leadership repertoire just for our whole organization is the opportunity to circle back so that you're, you know, you, you kind of establish that culture of it's not a one and done. Um, because you're right. How many times have we left a meeting, um, a conversation, with a colleague, with a family member, and you think, oh, I wish I would have said. If you have a culture of circle back, 
then you don't, then that's okay. You, you'll get the opportunity to say what you wish you would have said. Um, there, she talks a lot about barriers as well, but she says that the biggest barrier sometimes to empathy is self-compassion. <laughs> um, resisting the urge to punish or shame ourselves when we make a mistake. And so I know that we've talked, we've said this before, but it's so worth saying again. And this goes along with those affirmations. Um, talk to yourself the way that you talk to someone you love. And so I've, you know, I've really been Sometimes, you know, we work hard, but sometimes we get in those places to where it's easy to say like, oh, are you kidding me? What a dummy you made, you know, how could you have made that mistake? Or how could you have said that? And so, you know, we're, we're our own worst critics, but I've really been practicing lately. Like, Jill, would you have said that to one of your employees? Would you have said that to one of your daughters? Absolutely not. So then why would you say it to yourself? So I just thought that was um, definitely worth mentioning that we are, since we are our own worst critics, that self-compassion is something we need to all work on and that's just giving yourself grace um, and, and reminding yourself so the next time something happens that doesn't go quite your way and you're, you're quick to jump on can't believe I just did that and, and that negative self-talk put the brakes on stop <laughs> replay it and think about how could I you know give myself some affirmations and be gentle with myself absolutely uh, um, she talks about, I love this quote, um, because we, you know, I think a theme, Laura, that we've talked about throughout everything has to do with courage and, and, you know, failing forward and things are going to be hard. And I love this quote. She said, easy learning doesn't build strong skills. Yes. Oh, that was so powerful. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Easy learning doesn't build strong skills. And so I think about that. You know, I like to be great at everything when it first starts. And, and if it's and if it's hard, sometimes I'll avoid it because I don't. Remember, I'm a three, so I, I, I'm an achiever. I, I want to achieve. And if it's going to be hard, sometimes I avoid it because, well, the old me used to do that. The new me is really trying to approach it. But that's something, you know, I think, honestly, when I think about affirmations, I think that's something I'm going to put on. I think that I'm printing that one out to put on my vision board for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So at this point, we hope um, that some of your takeaways have been, two of your takeaways so far have been about daring leadership and empathy because those are huge things. The next huge thing and the reason that, we, uh, the thing that prompted our um, book study as an admin team within our school is the next section um, on values. And so um, when Brene talks about values, she talks about getting really clear about what it is that you believe and what drives your behavior. And not just you personally, but then drilling it down as an organization. What drives or what what values does your organization have? So she gives a list of values, um, such as accountability, achievement, connection, courage, gratitude. There are probably 90 values on this page. And she says, you can write in your own, but to really be clear about it, you have to select two. <laughs> and that was so hard. I'm still not certain that I've selected the two that I'm, I'm fine. Like I've chosen as final value. Yeah. I'm Laura and I were talking a little bit about this the other day. I'm very excited to get to this part of the book or, or the workbook because my initial perusal, like you think, you think, you know what they are. And then you start to look 
and then you you think you've got it down to two and then you go further down the list you're like oh no maybe it's that one so i'm i'm really excited to get into this work to really drill down because you know you think you know what they are but this is this is going to be a really important work for us and she asked some guiding questions when you find your values so what i think one of mine is and, and i've been actually since jill and i talked earlier I said it was integrity, but maybe it's really equity because I think that's that um, equity is what drives my integrity. Um, but she asked you, what are the three behaviors that support your value? What are three slippery behaviors that are outside of your value that you can kind of fall into? And what's an example of a time when you were fully living into this value? Um, and integrity is a big one for me because I've always, always done I've always been a rule follower, but when I'm not a rule follower, it's because of something that I wholeheartedly believe in, like equity. Um, things that kind of push the boundaries because I believe in the rights of other humans, things like that. Um, so that's why maybe, and, and integrity isn't doesn't necessarily mean rule follower. Maybe it just means living into my own values. You know, I, I it's funny because I, I would probably go to say, that anyone who knows or has worked with me, if they were to, to say a word, you know, when describing me, that they would probably say integrity because I, I say it to our kids every single morning. In fact, when we got to remodel the building, my handprints are actually in front of the school with the words, the word integrity, because, um, because I, I like you, Laura, like I, I like to do the right thing. You know, I, I say the kids, you know, integrity means doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. But listening to your listening to your explanation of that, um, I love that you've dug so much deeper into that. I've not quite gotten there. You know, you, you heard me say that I felt like initiative was maybe one of mine, but that's why I'm, I'm still like, oh, but maybe it's this and maybe it's that. So I love the work that you've been able to dig a little bit deeper to think on a surface level, it might be this, but when I really dig into all of the work that Brene has and the questions that she has you reflective on, that it's really equity because not that I don't think you have integrity, but um, but when you say when you you talk to it about like the equity, yeah, that's that's a word that I would hang my hat on for you, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I've really struggled to choose the second word, and that's neither here nor there. I think it may it's either between connection or courage, and I really just need to dig a little bit deeper with the two of those. Um, but it it's really prompted me to think about things at our in our building. Like when we have those tough rumble conversations, if we don't have really clear values about our school, and I think integrity is probably one of those things that would come up as a value, but we've not really been clear and specific about it. So when we're able to drill down and do that work, and then we are rumbling with a colleague to say, hey, um, I'm not sure what happened in this, let's talk through it so we can make it better. Um, we have some really, we have those core values that we can go back to and say, did this meet that, that behavior expectation or value expectation of our school? And I think it just makes things a little bit more crystal clear about um, the expectations that we have of ourselves as an organization. I, I agree, particularly when it comes to culture, because as I talked about earlier, one of the first things that we talk to other leaders about is establishing that shared vision and so i know that we've done a really great job of that at kenwood going through the process of you know our shared vision and mission and then 
step further was those collective commitments um, that really kind of hold you accountable to if this is your mission and vision, then what are what are you doing on a daily basis that shows that you achieve that? But I, I really think that this goes to a deeper level of a personal commitment to the culture of the organization. This work does. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I love that this paragraph on page 190 is, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, if you're not going to take the time to translate values from ideals to behaviors, if you're not going to teach people the skills they need to show up in a way that it's aligned with those values and then create a culture in which you hold one another accountable for staying aligned with the values, it's better not to profess profess any values at all. They become a joke, a cat poster, total BS. And I completely see the the work behind that. Um, why that's important from going to from values and ideals to actual behaviors that were in, are ingrained in our organization because then they're really clear and aligned with what what everybody's doing. She gives some really great activities in there too. Uh, that, that I'm telling you, readers, if you don't have this book, you need to get it because it's it's a great one. It is a great leadership one. And if you know, I would suggest you know if if you start with, on your own, like Laura and I did, kind of as a you know to dig a little deeper. But if you get the opportunity, I highly encourage you to do that book study with your leadership team, and then you know let us know how's it going with you. Yeah, um, I, this book really is. A game changer. I feel like um, I love the this quote. Also, it says mastery requires feedback, and feedback is something that she goes, she digs really deep into here um, in this section about um, living into our values, but in a way that I've not considered feedback before. And she really challenges leaders before you give feedback to make sure you're in the right space, that you're not still feeling emotionally charged, that you're ready to, to um, put your armor to the side, that you are really in a space where you can offer feedback and it can be productive. Um, and I, so I think that's another time when Circle Back is so appropriate to say, um, yes, I I'm really glad that I was able to join today. Let's circle back and we'll talk about this um, later on so that you can give really good productive feedback. But feedback is hard to get sometimes, <laughs> especially when you're perfectionist and in a perfectionist culture. So something we're gonna work on. But um, she talks about that self-talk when you're receiving feedback. So asking, how does this help me stay in alignment with my core values? Like, am I brave enough to receive this? Or there's something valuable here and this is the path to mastery because again she says mastery requires feedback and that's so true I think about um, a course that I'm taking right now and it's really nice as a student to receive feedback and when you don't receive feedback for weeks at a time it can make it difficult to know which direction like am I doing the assignments correctly or is there something that I needed to refine because I don't want to do eight more like this and then get counted off on all of them. Um, so as a student, I feel that way, but also in a profession, it's really nice to get feedback because if you're not doing something right and nobody says something, then you just keep doing it over and over and, and nothing ever gets better. But when you receive productive feedback, 
you grow, leaders grow, we all grow together. Um, and it's so important. Yeah, being in that right headspace um, is, is really an important thing. And I know the other thing she talks about, and she talked about a research study, um, is that it's, she calls it a positive intent assumption. And that's assuming that everyone is doing the best they can with what they have. You know, and, and I, I really do, I, I think I try to lead with this in, in the sense of saying that I don't know that I think anyone intentionally, like if, if, if an employee does something that is against our core values or, or, you know, that is like, oh, to where a conversation needs to be held. I always try to go through the, the idea that I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to be a really crappy employee. I really don't think anybody does that. And so, and that, and having that positive mindset, I think that helps when you give feedback to others, when you go into it with that presupposition that, okay, they're doing the best with what they, they, they have. So I either, my role as the leader with my feedback is to either A, figure out how to support them so that they are better at what the expectation is, or help them come to find out that maybe they don't possess the skill set for doing what they're doing and then help them find something that their skill set matches. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think about if I had, I think, I don't know if I've said this on this show or not, but when I first went to college, I went to school to be an accountant. When, you know, I started college to be an accountant. Well, it was way into almost the middle of my sophomore year when I realized I hated the business school. So imagine if I had gone on to do that and if, and you know, if I wasn't very good at it or what have you, wow, I, I would have appreciated so much someone talking to me and telling and being up front with, you know, Jill, this, this isn't, this doesn't seem to be your thing. Uh, let me help you get to your thing, which is education. So I think so often people are afraid of that confrontation but I, I truly believe that people appreciate that. In fact, the conversations I've had with people and giving feedback and kind of helping them get to a different place, they have appreciated that. Laura, have you, have you experienced that? And, and, oh. um, yes and no, because my role is so different. Um, I am not an evaluator as a leader. So, um, I think people are more receptive sometimes to feedback from me um, because they know it's not evaluative um, or maybe are even comfortable asking questions when they're afraid to fail. Um, but then again, at the same time, sometimes that feedback is not always respected because I'm not the evaluator. It's kind of, that 50, is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, and Laura, you brought, you brought up something. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about this on another episode. Um, I'm just thinking about the structure that we set up at, at our school. Um, and this is so important because if your structure is not set up like this, then this is one of the first things you need to do. People want to be coached and then people have to be evaluated. The evaluator and the coach should not be the same person because to Laura's point, when I'm giving feedback as a coach, I don't need, I don't want them worrying about, is this going on my evaluation? So that is one of the, that's one of the, the golden nugget takeaways that I wasn't expecting to share with you all today, but I will go ahead and do that there today. 
um, to say that I will say again, if you do not have a structure set up to where if you are coaching and evaluating the same, it, it, the same, if you are the same, co- if you are the evaluator and the coach, stop it right now. Make that the first thing that you're going to change is that you split it up with your other administrators so that you put out, okay, if I'm, if I'm evaluating this half of the staff, you're coaching them and then the people that you're evaluating, I'm coaching. Um, either way that it goes, um, and we talk about this, that in order for a culture to be able to receive that feedback, you have to have trust. And so one of Brene's big four is braving trust. And so she defines trust. Actually, she uses the, the definition by a man by the name of Charles Feltman. He says, trust is choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person person's actions. Conversely, distrust, he defines as deciding that what is important to me is not safe with this person in this situation. I thought that was pretty kind of, kind of a big thing. And then she went on to kind of quote some re, so a research um, of the 100 best companies to work for when they did it. Um, I think it was the Forbes magazine. They did uh, what do they feel a commonality of the 100 best companies to work for. What they found was that the one thing was the trust between the managers and the employees, they said, is the primary defining characteristics of the best workplace. That was the one thing that was common amongst all 100 of the companies that they defined. And so we've talked a little bit about this, and we'll talk about this in another episode too, is that knowing how important that is, that you, if your organization does not have trust, well, that's where you better start. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about where, how do you develop that? So I think that kind of comes through um, transparency and communication. And, and Laura, I know we've talked a little bit about that and we'll probably be in another episode as well. So, you know, I talked about what you need to do first. Now I'm giving you a big list of things to do, but I, 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 I love, I love this. And I'm going to read this verbatim from what she said from her book. She says, while few leaders would argue against the idea that trust is necessary for building elite performance, not nearly enough realize the height of its importance and far too many disregard trust building as a soft, quote unquote, soft or quote unquote, secondary competency. But in our joint experience, we've learned that trust is the one thing, the one thing that changes everything. It's not a nice to have, it's a must-have. Without it, every part of your organization can fail, literally into disrepair. But with trust, all things are possible. Most importantly, continuous improvement and sustainable, measurable, tangible results in the marketplace. Oh my gosh, as educators, I mean, those those sustainable, measurable, tangible goals, those SMART goals, I mean, that's, that's, that's everything we do. So... I, I thought mm-hmm. that was so interesting. In fact, I'm really interested, Laura, that we need to do some research looking at low-performing schools and seeing what that trust factor looks like. Oh, I'm so, like, I'm adding to our to-do list, but I, man, I love- that gets me excited to think about that. No, I love that research aspect, too, but I thought it was, what was equally as interesting within that study was that when when they asked, um, common leaders, what the most common answer was when they asked them to explain what their employees did to earn their trust, I was not expecting this response. It was that their employees asked for help when they needed it. 
So they felt comfortable in delegating tasks because they knew if they got stuck that the employee would come back and ask them for help instead of just I failing. I thought that was interesting um, too. Almost like don't trust the person who, who has it all together. I mean, she didn't say that, but that was kind of like the, the takeaway right. that I took. I was like, oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she talks about the basics of self-trust and she just gives seven elements and they are boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity. There it is. Non-judgment and generosity. And self-trust is a big one because when you don't trust yourself or when you don't have these things set up for self-trust, um, it gets really difficult. And so one of the biggest ones and probably the most difficult on this list is boundaries and setting boundaries. And if you are not good at setting boundaries, you have to start. And I, um, I love the way that she talks about boundaries because she says, if I don't, if I'm not setting boundaries, I'm not in my integrity. Um, and then it makes it really hard to give feedback and things like that. And she says um, this, if you struggle with boundaries, set small ones with your partner. Like you will not be responsible for both cooking and cleaning up dinner until you are adept at putting boundaries into action in a more meaningful way. So saying like, if I'm gonna cook, will you clean up? Or whatever the case may be starting small with boundaries because I know um, if you're like us that's something that's really difficult because as leaders I know in the past um, I've always felt the need to be accessible 24 7 and that really kicked into overdrive when NTI started but I had to for my own sake had to start putting in boundaries and really that's with everybody so having some time for just me every single day is really important and even like if Jill and I are having a conversation I'm like oh I'm so sorry I really want to go spend this 30 minutes walking or whatever and then I'll be back and I can regroup and we can we can circle back <laughs> Renee's <laughs> point but but setting boundaries is so so important not only for our own self-trust but for our mental health if you're not doing it start small and and for the next week set one boundary that you can keep that you, you know need. I think about the boundary that Heather talked about that um, <clears throat> taking her email off her phone like in my opinion that was a boundary that she she established that not working on Sundays it's funny I was listening to another presentation earlier today and he talked about that you know choose one day that is sacred because it, he said if you don't what will show up at your doorstep is resentment. And I thought, oh, that is so true. And, and that was kind of what I was hearing, Laura, when you were talking about when you're, you're accessible to everyone, so suddenly you start resenting not having time for yourself. So yes, listeners, make time for yourself. Absolutely. So the last section of her book and, and kind of like the fourth component was learning to rise. Um, and she talks about different offloading strategies and, and we're not really going to talk too much about those, but the big, here was a big takeaway from this was, um, creating an environment to fail forward. And oh, I love this quote. Listen to this. She says, we have to teach people how to land before they jump. When you go skydiving, you spend a lot of upfront time jumping off a ladder and learning how to hit the ground without hurting yourself. She says, I haven't experienced this personally, but I've watched it. The same is true in leadership. We can't expect to be brave and risk failure if they're not prepped for hard landings. So I, that, when I, thinking back to what we talked about earlier about our culture, 
of perfectionism and trying to create an environment to where people feel comfortable failing. I don't know that we've practiced some hard landings that give people the opportunity of let me, you know, expect to land hard so that we can practice how we get up from that. And when we've had hard landings, how have we responded? And really and truly, I don't know. I think that's a conversation that we will probably need to dig in deeper as an admin team. But when we've had hard landings, what have we done? Yeah, for sure. Um, In fact, you know, one of the things that Brene talks about in Learning to Rise is if we don't have the skills to get back up, then we may not risk falling. And if we are brave enough, often enough, we're definitely going to fall. And so this is, um, this is huge because I really feel like when I'm identifying priorities for our own leadership, I really feel like we found it, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree. Um, it's interesting because um, she tells this story called the handful <laughs> bird debacle. And it's probably one of the most memorable story she tells because it's a story that we've probably all (laughs) done and she tells a story about her husband getting home and walking into the kitchen and he says we don't even have any ham or something like that and she's in the living room she said she was in the biggest hole she'd ever dug herself she felt like a failure in all sort all areas of her life her family her work and hearing him say that made her clench her fist and say something like um, do you, does your car work? <laughs> Can you drive to the grocery to go get yourself ham? And he ends up saying to her, in the 30 years that we've been married, how often have you been the one to go grocery shopping? Who normally does our grocery shopping? And it was him. Um, <laughs> so after unpacking it, she found out that his comment was really only because he'd missed lunch because he was working with patients and something went over and he was so hungry and they didn't even have ham to do a ham fold over. So she tells um, that, and Michelle mentioned this in um, our interview with her and Irina, the story that I'm telling myself. So when she was able to sit, to stop and say, the story I'm telling myself is that you got home from work and I'm, I've been home all day and there's not even ham here for you to eat because I don't have dinner on the table. And he said, when have you ever had dinner on the table when I've gotten home? <laughs> and then he's able to share, no, really that comment was because I'm just hungry and I wanted ham. <laughs> but how often have we jumped to conclusions because of our own emotional state instead of coming at it with the story I'm telling myself is, and can you validate that for me or not? And I I think I said this to Michelle when she was on, but that is such, that is such a great way to not put the other person, the conversation on the defensive. Do you know? So I, I really, 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 I know I said it when Michelle was on there, but I do love that because that's a way to, let me see if I got this right but not make the other, not put the other person on the defense. I'm going to practice that. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of work to do on my to-do list is getting longer and longer. (laughs) Absolutely. And honestly, I think 
we didn't plan to spend this much time on our podcast, but there's just so many great takeaways. And when we were reflecting on the top five that we really wanted you to know, it was really that armor, the daring leadership instead of armored leadership, leading with empathy and how to respond in empathy, getting really clear about your core values, setting boundaries for yourself, and then leading with that, the story I'm telling myself. So we can kind of stop situations from ha- from escalating before we set aside our own emotions. Yes. And I think this um, quote kind of sums up everything Brene tries to say in this book. She says, silence is not brave leadership. So when I think about all of our takeaways, it really requires us to put this together. A brave leader is not someone who shows up with all the answers. A brave leader is not someone who can facilitate a flawless discussion on hard topics. A brave leader is someone who says, I see you, I hear you, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to keep listening and asking questions. And so when I think about all of the courage that that takes to be that leader, Wow, it really, all of our takeaways today are kind of, they have to all be rolled up to be that leader that Brene just described. Absolutely. All right. So um, as Laura mentioned, we didn't plan on talking so much, but wow, a lot of great takeaways today. (laughs) I I would love to hear what your first takeaway is going to be. So if you want to tweet us, um, let us know, you know, what your biggest takeaway from today was. And you know what? I'm going to circle back really quick, Jill, to boundaries because this is probably a boundary that we all need right now while we're waiting for the election results. Put your phone down, take some time away from social media, set boundaries with it. If you do nothing else this week, set boundaries with your social media intake because it will save your your social and emotional state. Absolutely, that's that's great advice, Laura, great advice. So next week, we'll be joined by yet another courageous female leader who has been a significant media presence covering educational news at both the local and state level. Now, you've heard us talk about this book and how much we love it. If you don't have it, we encourage you to get it. And so for your convenience, we've linked Dare to Lead in the show notes um, if you're ready to get your own copy. So if you've enjoyed this episode, Daring Leadership, What Would Brene Say?, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons that you see at the bottom of this post. Um, If this is your first episode, or if you've not listened to our entire first season, we'd love to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, formerly called iTunes, to get automatic episode updates for Be The Leader You Deserve podcast. And recently, I think we've shared this with you all, and we've seen some of you all, some of our listeners have been liking and following us, but we've created a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page to give you the most frequent updates, quotes, and inspiration to carry you through the week. And we just started a 28-day gratitude challenge. So if you've not signed up from that, and we know that Katie Wolf, our our shout-out today, has, but make sure to like us and do that. And follow us at Be The Leader You Deserve to stay up to date with our leadership ideas and other projects that we have in the works. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and a rating on Apple Podcast. We love seeing those five-star reviews. They really do help us out when it comes to the ranking of the show, and we make it a point to read every single one of them. All right, you all. Thanks for listening and have a great week.